I'll be reading Acts chapter 6, verses 2 through 4. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Good morning. Last week we began a study about church structure. It's a very fancy way to say where do you fit in within the local body of Christians that meet at a congregation. I want to clarify something real quick about this particular study. Uh, we are moving from elders to deacons to picking on my job next week, so look forward to that. We talk about your qualifications as an older woman as a younger woman, as an older man, as a younger man, and I will let you figure out which one applies to you when we get there. I wouldn't dare tell you <laughs> that you're an older woman or a younger woman. It's how you feel on the inside, okay? <laughs> Nor is that a study on the women's role in the church per se, as we sometimes mean that. We're talking about when we go to the book of Titus, the same way we find qualifications for an eldership, there are, in fact, qualifications for being a faithful member of the Lord's body, depending on your gender and your particular age of choice. Let's just put it that way. All right, so we're looking to see where we see ourselves within the, the local body of Christ. And this is done to inform you, in case you don't know these things that are kind of primary in, in understanding how the church is designed by God through his Holy Spirit, but also to see where there's room for you to improve. And what I mean by that is we all are on this journey, this path towards heaven together, but along the way we get the opportunity to be in the body of Christ. We get to grow and to learn and to encourage, and if I hear Brian say the... Uh, the one another statements one more time. I think I'm owed a thousand dollars for a bet that I placed when I first got here. So the one another's, the things that we are encouraged to do for each other and to each other is there for us in scripture and the church is the way that that functions. And so I'm going through this series, this understanding about the church to see where we can best find ourselves and to grow within that role where we are planted by the Lord. So last week we talked about the elders. I did my best to pick on them as hard as I could. If you didn't get anything from that sermon, at least know that one of their qualifications is to be busy up in your business. If they aren't bothering you, then they aren't doing their job. And so I'm encouraged to know that we have a lot of busy bodies as our elders in this congregation. So hopefully I don't get fired. <laughs> now just settling in so this morning we're moving on from the idea of an eldership to the role of deacons and the same way we looked at the three different words used to define the office of an elder last week we have the momentous task in front of us to just look at one greek word is that okay i guess not because no one said a thing <laughs> That's okay, one Greek word. 
And the reason why we go back to that Greek is because that Greek is so specific in how it defines itself, instead of us just talking about deacons and then classifying what we don't mean or what we sometimes mean, if you just look at the word in the original language, that just explains everything for us. So, diakonos is the word for us, not pronounced correctly by any stretch of any imagination, but there's the word. And we look at that word, and what's special about it is there's nothing that special about it. Y'all hear that? The special thing about that Greek word is there's nothing that special about that word that we define or transliterate or we take from the Greek to the English to mean deacon because that word simply defined is just someone who serves. The Greek verb form is to serve or to minister. The noun, the person that is the server, we would say in the English, is what we call a deacon. Now, if we look into the New Testament and just do a quick survey of people that are called servants or deacons, literally we would say, we have Paul calling himself that in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. We have a lady named Phoebe. Not the young one who's going to be born to us soon, but the one back in the, the, the first century. Phoebe, Romans chapter 16, verse 1. You have Apollos from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Tychicus in Ephesus chapter 6. In, uh, Ephesus. Ephesians, rather, chapter 6, verse 21. Epaphras in Colossians 1, 7. Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 6. And then we have a special, special classification of people that are called deacons within the role of the office of a deacon. And that's a very special one we'll be kind of focusing in on for the rest of our time. If you're looking for a book, chapter, and verse to where you see elders and deacons talked about in their offices, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul was writing to the elders and the deacons in Philippi. And then we have more details in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. So that's just the word this morning to begin our conversation about the idea of what a deacon is in the body of Christ. I want to embarrass you. If you are a deacon of this congregation, would you mind raising your hand for us? We got a couple. Look around. So Trey is usually right there, but he's away at our college retreat with the college kids, and he would raise his hand for a little while longer while he's yet with us. The role of a deacon is very special scripturally because we see what they do, their work, their function, really only in one location in the Bible. But we do have to classify this as not particularly clear to us that they were called what we would call deacons. Everybody with me? We don't have a lot of details about what their jobs are, their roles are, so the best way to figure out what a deacon is is again looking back at that word and they were those who served. And because of Philippians chapter 1 verse 1 they served with, alongside, and under the authority of an eldership of a congregation. Let's go over to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3 together. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 
Now in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, going through verse 7, we have the qualifications, if we want to use that word, it's the best word for us, of what an elder looks like among an eldership. And then we move on to verse 8. And it says, deacons likewise must be dignified. So when you see a deacon on your way out of worship this morning, say, you look so dignified today. <laughs> it's one of their qualifications. Not double-tongued. Meaning behind there is not saying one thing out on of one corner of your mouth and saying the other thing on the other corner of your mouth. We'll figure out why that's so important in just a moment. Now, I love this in the ESV. Not addicted to much wine. <laughs> the qualification for an elder is not addicted to wine. We say not an alcoholic. For a deacon, not too much of an alcoholic is not quite the right rendering of that from the Greek, but the same meaning is there. Not greedy for dishonest gain. Verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them be tested first and then let them serve, there's the verb form, as servants or deacons if they prove themselves blameless. If they're able to accomplish the task of serving, then let them be people that serve. Seems pretty simplistic, doesn't it? And then verse 11, something not mentioned as a so-called qualification of an elder, but it is mentioned here for deacons. Their wives, the word there for the Greek is women, but the meaning is your women, your wives, likewise must be dignified. Not slanderers, but sober-minded or clear-thinking, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. Literally rendering that means let you have one wife. Managing their children and their own households well. Because, verse 13, those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. That's the benefit package, right? The elders have a slightly larger benefit package, but if you want to be a deacon or a servant of the elders, then that's what you're looking forward to, is to have a more secure footing in your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that's not a whole lot of qualifications, meaning it's not that difficult to qualify as someone who can be called a deacon or a servant for the elders. But I will mention one small nuance here that's just a historical thing that may be of interest to you. If it's not, completely ignore me. Okay? It's a joke. You don't have to laugh. It's not funny. Okay. We have a qualification here for the wives. And we always kind of wonder, well, why are the elders' wives talked about kind of almost in passing that they have one and that they rule their house well? But why are the deacons' wives talked about having qualifications as well? Well, the answer is, biblically, we don't really have a clear answer for that, but at least historically, the first, second, and third century Christians had a practice in place, historically, that was written about. And the elders served as much as the preacher would serve in our culture and context today. One of their main qualifications was apt or able to teach. 
and then not being able to teach just for the paycheck, we would say. That's what, how, what their primary function was, was to expound upon the word of God, the mystery of godliness and so on, and to feed the flock of God. One of their words, poimen, from last week, be a shepherd or a pastor. And then deacons were kind of seen almost away from that position, but doing more of the day-to-day, what we would call visitation work. The idea of going to see members who were ill, to care for those who had needs, and to serve them as deacons. And more often than not, you had a, a dynamic duo in that role to do visitation, to do sick work, and to care for those who had needs, a husband and a wife would often go together for the first 150 to 200 years of the early church. That's how deacons usually served. And that they could report back to the shepherds or the elders their condition and what further needs they may have. Now, is that really a qualification for them? Not biblically. They are servants to be used in the role of serving. That's just how it was done usually in the early church. But I want to mention to you as to why there is that small difference, a small addition of the wives having qualifications as well. Overall, the main role of a deacon, what they are to look like in a spiritual way, is they are to be married, they are to be fathers, and they are to be responsible people who can serve in that capacity. And that's almost all I have to say about deacons this morning, but we do have one more passage in front of us. Let's go to the book of Acts chapter 6 together, where we were for our scripture reading. I want to give you a preface to this particular passage that the title or the office of deacons are not used in this particular instance. However, it was so early in the work and the formation of the church, you might say, that instead of having an eldership overseeing a congregation, they had the actual apostles. Now, I would say that they were probably qualified by their inspiration of the Holy Spirit to tell us who they needed to fill the role of what they were lacking in the local body in Jerusalem early in the, the first century church. So in Acts chapter 6, as the church in Jerusalem is growing and spreading, and there are more and more people depending on the kindness and goodwill of other Christians in that body, there was a situation that arose. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. If you'll recall, in Acts chapter 2, you had the day of Pentecost. And all the faithful Jews in the area, if they were able, were gathering around from, uh, to Jerusalem to have the, the feast in the day of Pentecost. And while they were there in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles of our Lord and they were able to speak in the different languages from all the regions from which these Jews migrated and traveled for this feast or festival day. Now, the people that heard the gospel of Jesus Christ became Christians. They were baptized. 
to, for the remission of their sins, and they just stayed in Jerusalem. That's how the early church in Jerusalem got formed. Now, the only problem was, if you've ever gone on a vacation somewhere or a trip somewhere, you plan to stay for a week, two weeks, maybe at the most couple of weeks, but if you end up just staying there for a few months and maybe even a couple of years, you'll know that your life that you left behind you, including your financial situation, it needs to be adjusted. So in the early church, what they did was you had people that owned property. They had land, and they would sell their property, and they would put it before the apostles' feet to be distributed as everyone in that body of Christ had need. And this is a more practical, pragmatic thing that was taking place. There were widows who were there who needed to be cared for, but there was an issue. You have the Hellenist or the Greek-speaking Jews that were widows being neglected, looked over in that daily distribution. They weren't getting food. They weren't getting the things that they required. The Hebrew-speaking widows were taken care of, but the Greek-speaking widows were being neglected. Of course, that's not a good thing. So what's the solution? Verse 2. And the twelve, the apostles summoned the full number of the disciples. Now, I would have loved to see that congregational meeting. Remember, there were 3,000 souls plus all gathering in Jerusalem. And they said, it is not right or proper that we should give up preaching, Caruso heralding the word of God to serve tables. Now, not saying... <laughs> that serving tables was not important. If you are someone that contributes by helping to serve others, you're following after the example and model of God in the flesh, Jesus himself, washing his own disciples' feet to make a very particular point about humility. However, in this pivotal moment in history, when the word of God finally can be preached to the fullest extent about the saving plan of the gospel of Jesus, that was not the most important work for the apostles to be doing at that particular time. So what's the solution? Therefore, verse 3, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. We need people that meet these qualifications to be able to serve the widows that no one is being neglected or overlooked while we have other business to attend to. Verse 4, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry or service of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicantor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte in Antioch. Not even a full-born Jew. He became a Jew by proselyting. These they set before the apostles. They prayed 
and laid their hands on them. Now, in the first century church, you have two meanings of laying your hands on somebody, and it's not laying your hands on them like you're going to beat them up, right? That's not violence we're talking about here. They laid their hands on them either to endow them with the gifts of the Holy Spirit or to set them over an appointed task. Now, we would usually do that culturally today, not by laying hands on someone, but by shaking their hand when they're in that office. And verse 7, what's the result of picking wise, gifted men to serve, literally, in this capacity? The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So again, these are not necessarily deacons in the same way we would talk about them today, but we do see the effectiveness of placing men who fit certain qualifications of their faith over a role to serve in that way. And so, what's the big deal? What's the point? Why do I spend all of this time talking to you about these deacons if you aren't one or can't be one? It's to let you know that God has structured his church in such a way that is built in wisdom, is built efficiently. God knows how to structure and how to organize his own body. And the two roles that we've examined thus far, seeing shepherds over the flock to feed them, to guide them, to protect them from error, and then to have a special set of, literally, servants to help the work continue and to grow and to multiply and increase is the wisdom of God seen in the structure of the body. Now, Lord willing, next week, I'll get to talk about me and my role. I'm going to try to keep my sarcasm and joking to a minimum. It's going to be so hard. I want you to pray for me to be serious about what my role is in the body of Christ. But as we're doing this examination, again, keep in mind the, the meaning, the purpose. I'm not up here just talking about things that hopefully all of us already know. It's to remind us that the Lord and his body, he cares about how it's structured. He cares about you and how you fit in the body of Christ and what your role and purpose is. To be in the body of Christ, you first must be cleansed by the blood of Jesus, his son. To know that God loved you so much when you were in your sin, that Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, giving us an example to follow, and then willingly became the Lamb of God, who gave up his life to give you eternal life. That's the message that we preach here in Thomaston Road. It's the same message they preached here in the book of Acts in Jerusalem in the first century. To know that you can be a part of the body of the Lord, to find your place, to see where you fit, and to see where you can thrive and grow in your service to our Lord together is our intent. If you have a need to respond to the invitation of our Lord and be baptized into Christ this morning, it's right behind me. Did y'all know this thing was back here this whole time? <laughs> if you need to get baptized into Christ, 
It's waiting for you. If you're already a Christian, but you've wandered off the path, you have forgotten your place in the church, you've not been growing and thriving in where you serve our Lord, why not come back to him this morning? We are all in the same boat. We are working our way to get to heaven and take as many people as we possibly can with us to meet our Lord and our God. If you have a need, please respond by coming forward now as we stand and we sing.